Over the last several weeks, well, not the last several weeks, last week we started a new series entitled Standing Firm in the Faith. And literally this series is all based upon a group of people from a place called Thessalonica. Uh, Paul wrote two letters to them, First and Second Thessalonians. And when Paul wrote to them, what was interesting is that the tone of Paul's letters both are with great encouragement. He's not necessarily correcting them in anything, although in 2 Thessalonians, as we'll see, there is something that he does address, but we'll get there later on. But what Paul does is he commends them. He remembers them, we learned last week, for their faith, for their hope, and for their love. And as we learned last week, that was a, that was a sure foundation that encouraged them and, and equipped them to stand firmly in the faith. And so last week, as we will again this week, we started with the end in mind. We looked to the end of uh, uh, Paul's letters to them in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he's wrapping up and he's about to say goodbye. And I want to point us back there again because that's the end goal. That's where we're going. That's, that's the, that's, that should be our aim. That should be where we're heading. And so in 2, Theth- in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, Paul says, we ought always to thank God for you. Literally what Paul's saying there is this. We have reason to thank God for you. We're grateful to God for you. But why? He says, brothers and sisters, you're loved by the Lord because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. And so what we see is that God is saying to them, and please don't disassociate yourself from the people of Thessalonica. This refers to you, believer. This refers to you, child of God. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, guess what? This refers to you too because God loves you enough to reveal to you that he calls you to be the very best of the bunch. That's what it says when he says you're his first fruits. You're the very best. The first offspring. And so he says, he says, he called you in verse 14. He called you to this through our gospel. And so basically what Paul's saying is, you came to know this through this message that you received. Now, here's a fun fact. Bible history records that Paul was with the people of, Thessalon- of Thessalonica for only about three weeks. That was it. And in three weeks, he shared with them the good news. And that message that they received in a short span of three weeks carried them for the rest of their lives. It cemented them. It solidified them. They stood firm. And so Paul says, he called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're meant to share in the glory of Jesus. Now, let me, let me just bring that down to layman's terms. That word glory there simply means magnificence. It means excellence. It also means his opinion, his view. And so what we're seeing here is that the word is saying that we have the privilege, that we have the right as children of God, that we're called by receiving this gospel, we have access. There is a path that has been made where we can share and enjoy and live as a result of, in light of, all that is excellent, all that is magnificent, and everything that God has declared 
according to what he sees. And so then, Paul says in verse 15, in other words, in light of this truth, brothers and sisters, stand firm. And in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, so then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. The reason why we're encouraged to stand firm and hold fast to our faith is because it's only by faith that we share in all that is provided unto us in Christ. And so today, I want to build upon where we left off last week. We, we, we looked last week at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and today we're going to transition into chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and learning about a powerful piece to the foundation upon which we're encouraged to hold to so that we can stand firm in our faith. Let's read starting at verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to read through verse 13. It says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Literally what Paul is saying is this. You know that what we imparted unto you in those short three weeks was not without fruit. The King James puts it this way. It says, it was not in vain. And in the original Greek, what it's literally saying is, it wasn't fruitless. And so these were a fruitful people. Listen, if you've ever beat, beat yourself up because you go, oh, I'm just new to this. I've only been exposed to this for a couple of months. Let me just say something to you. What you have heard about the gospel, I can't speak for anywhere else. And I'm not knocking anywhere else. But what you have heard here, according to who Jesus is, and who Jesus is in your life, and who you are because of it, and the grace of God that empowers you, and sustains you, and equips you, and propels you forward, it is enough for you to stand. If you have a genuine love for Jesus, if you are genuinely focused upon knowing Christ, let me say something to you. You have the key ingredients that are necessary to stand for the rest of your life. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't, have to, we, we don't grow more and we don't grow in understanding more. Absolutely, we do. But I want you to understand that these people in three weeks' time believed God loves me. God loved me from the beginning of time. God has appointed me unto good works. God has given. He's paid a price that was meant for me to pay so that I can enjoy the life that He enjoys. And he's called me to live in his blessing, in his goodness, to be a vessel, to be of use in this world, to impact this world. They understood that, and it was enough. And if you understand that today, it's enough. And so Paul says, hey, you know that our visit to you wasn't fruitless. It wasn't in vain. It wasn't without results. In verse 2, he goes on to say, We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives. Nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. 
You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Indeed, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I want to stop right there. We're still going to go to verse 13, but I want to just pause right there for a moment, and I want to draw your attention to to some things. I want you to see the essence of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying there was great fruit among you. And it had nothing to do with our eloquence. It had nothing. We didn't didn't flatter you with fluffy thoughts. We didn't pump you up. No, he says, not only did we share the gospel, but we lived amongst you. We shared our lives with you. You know, I have been accused, and I will bite that bullet, that I'm too simple and too plain. There's a reason why. It's because it's scriptural. See, it's not good enough just to just share a word, to share a sermon. No, this must be lived before you and I. And I don't know about you, but I'm not following a shepherd that I can't see that fruit in. Not doing it. And I would encourage you, if that's your experience ever here, run. Leave. Don't question it. Leave. Because this is what Scripture reveals to us. What I love about this is that Paul illustrates to us his love, their love, and their care and their concern for them. And everything that they did, they were like fathers unto them. And the mark of it was that everything that they taught them was encouraging. It was of comfort. And if it urged them to do anything, it urged them to live lives in response to who God is. That's what the Bible's saying they're worthy of God. And so, verse 13 tells us why these people were so fruitful. Verse 13 tells us why. We can be fruitful. Look at verse 13. It says, And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word. Watch this. But as it actually is. Hmm. The word of God. Which is indeed at work in you believe. Notice what Paul is not saying. He's not saying the work that's happening in you is as a result of what we've taught you. 
to believe. He's not saying it's not because of the, our denomination or what we are pointing towards. No, what he says is it's as a result of what you received. Not just our words, but you received the word of God as you are supposed to, is what he's saying. You received it as not our word. You received it as God's word. Let me tell you why that's important. Because in these verses, we see the manner in which God used Paul to pour into the lives of these people. But what we see was that what they, they drew from everything that they were being taught and received. They weren't seeking men. They were seeking God. You know, the reason why I'm pointing us to this attention, and this is where we're going to be heading today. This is going to tie into our main point is because I want you to consider what they were actually receiving. What was it that made them so fruitful and how can we apply that to our lives from this day forward? The reason why I'd like us to consider this simple thought, this plain question, is because fruitfulness is only an indication of what's already happening at a deeper level. Let me illustrate to you what I mean and follow my train of thought as we dig into. This is going to lead to where we're going today. In John chapter 15 verses 1 through 5, we see an example of fruitfulness. But it also points us to what's happening in a fruitful life. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, interestingly, that word vine there is not referring to something that is visible on the outside. I know that at face value, that's what it seems to, to, to be saying. But that word vine there is speaking about a, it's speaking about the base of the vine, the root of the vine. In other words, what's unseen. And so with that understanding, let's read this. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Watch what he says. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Know what he's saying? I'm the root, and you're the proof of what I've done. I'm the vine. You're the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And so, in other words, the fruit that results in our lives is directly tied to what we do and the impact that Jesus at the root has in our lives. Can you see that? Is that simple enough, plain enough to to appreciate and understand? Let me put it to you this way. Jesus is the root that causes us to bear fruit. And what we find here is this, that what we do with Jesus, who is the root, 
how that impacts us determines fruitfulness in our lives. So let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And I'm going to read this to you again and bring this together as we tie into where we're going today. Once again, verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is. The word of God. Let's pause right there for a moment. These people did not, under, did not grab a hold to mere words. These people understood who God was. Listen, they received the word not as a good word, pastor. They received the word as more than, they didn't receive it that way. They, re- they didn't even receive it as, man, that was deep. Praise God. Yes, that's true. That's good. Nothing wrong with that response. But understand something. If all we do is assent to the word of God and we don't understand God in the midst of it, we've received nothing. This is why, for some of you who've been here for a while, you've heard me say this. The word of God is not about life management. It's not about improving a better you. It's not about recreating the old you and, you know, making a two, Jose 2.0. That's not what this is about. If your faith isn't pointing you to Jesus, you're missing the point. We're missing the point. If we're not growing in an understanding of who God is, that's why the Bible says that we would increase in our understanding, that we would increase in the knowledge of him. First Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1 verse 2 says that. That as we increase in the knowledge of him, that what we come to know is the promises of God and we, what, we, what we take a hold of is everything that pertains to life and godliness. And so, listen closely. They did not receive this as a human word, but actually as it is, the word of God. The reason why they were so fruitful was because they received the word of God. They didn't receive anything but that. Let me, let me point you to a direction we're going to today. And this is, kind of, this is our main idea today. How you receive the word of God is as important as what you receive from God's word. I'm going to say that again. How you receive God's word. Listen, if you don't receive it as God's word, and all you do is receive it as, oh, you know what, this is just going to help me manage my anger. This is, this is going to give me some steps to prosperity. If that's all you receive from the Word of God, this is just going to help me understand how to be a better wife and a better husband. I'm not saying that the Word of God doesn't do that. It does. It gives us clear instruction in that. It informs us that way. But if that's where we land, then ladies and gentlemen, we're stopping short of receiving the fullness of God's Word. And so how you receive the word of God as the word of God is as important as what you receive from God's word. I'm sure that we can all, to some extent, quote some level of scripture. But have you ever stopped to really consider what you're quoting and ask yourself, do I really understand what I'm saying? 
Do I really understand it? And so, for some people, we receive the word of God as good information. It tells us about a good God. The word does reveal that. It tells us about a good life. Jesus said that he came that we would have life in abundance. That's true, too. It tells us about good promises. The word of God is riddled with promises. We just heard some in the midst of a, a worship as we were uh, going into giving our offering and worshiping God. Absolutely, it gives us good promises. It tells us about a lot of good things. Others, on the other hand, receive the word of God as a word from God. The difference between these two types of people is that one hears and knows good information. The other hears and knows God. That's a significant difference. One hears and knows good information. The other hears and knows God. See, how you receive the word of God is important. How you receive the word of God is important. How many times... If we could just be honest and tell on ourselves at some point in our lives, or maybe you're there. Listen, no condemnation in this. But how many times haven't we heard the word of God but not responded to it as if it is the word of God? Come on now. I know I'm talking to some of you because I'm talking to me. I'm talking to me here. I've been there. That happens, ladies and gentlemen. It's the word of God, but we don't respond as if it's the word of God. See, and so I want us to look in our Bibles to the words of Jesus. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to dig into this a little bit. And then we're going to see some things about how to plainly receive the word of God. And what we're going to see in the midst of the words of Jesus is, what was it that made it so powerful for these Thessalonians and for us? that it transformed their lives in such a way that amongst the known world in a region that was anti-Christ, that rejected the word of God, that was violent even in their response to the entrance of the word of God, what was it about these people that were foreign from God, that were pagan people that they received, that caused them to be so fruitful? What was it about how they received the word of God as the word of God, as it is, that changed their lives and came to change our lives? Because the gospel spread from Jerusalem and Israel into this foreign regions and to this day what happened in Macedonia where the Thessalonians were has carried over into our lives and it's still transforming this world to this day. Jesus says in Matthew 13 starting at verse 3 he says behold a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. Interesting point to point out about the wayside is this, that the wayside was the ground upon which people walked on. And so it was trampled ground. And as a result of it being that the, the, part, the portion of, of road where people walked on, what would happen in those times, just to give you some context, in those days, it wasn't uncommon for people to walk on the land that, people, that other people owned. It was, it was welcome. It was okay. But there was a specific area where you could walk. The thing is that in that specific area where you walked, 
in, in, on people's property, that area was an area known to become trampled because many people walked on it. So that area, that ground was hard. And so hear this. He says, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the wayside. Birds came and devoured them. Verse 5, and some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up, but they had no depth of earth. And so there's something to work with there, but the seed can't take root. Verse 6, but when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Pay close attention to verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I want us to consider this. What's the goal Jesus is attempting to accomplish by sharing this parable here? Verse 9 is very clear that they would hear, that we would hear. Listen, the goal there wasn't that just they would hear. It was that they would understand. If you read this, and I encourage you to go back to Matthew 13 on your own time, you'll find that right after this, the disciples come back to Jesus later on and they say, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus, I didn't want to say this in front of anybody else. I mean, it doesn't say all that. But they, it says that they pulled them aside. There's a reason why they pulled them aside. Maybe they didn't want everybody else to see them in a certain way. But they pulled Jesus to the side, and the scriptures say that they asked Jesus, what were you talking about? What, what was that parable all about? What, what exactly were you trying to say? And the Bible says that Jesus says to them, to you it has been given to understand. And so then he points them, he, he literally tells them the meaning of what he's saying. But before we go there, I want you to consider something. That how you hear God's word impacts if you receive from it. So track with me here. Follow the road I'm taking you upon. Isn't that interesting that the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, right? And hearing comes by the word of God. But if you study that out, it's not talking about audibly. Because if all you do is hear words and syllables, then it's really just noise. If that's how you receive the word, then guess what? You won't receive anything from it. That makes sense? But if we hear the word, if we understand the word, then what happens is this. It's a game changer. Let me prove that to you from Scripture. Verses 18 through 23 in Matthew 13, Jesus again speaking says, Therefore, Hear the parable of the sower. In other words, understand. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not, what? Understand it. Does not understand it. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. So if there's no understanding, guess what? There's no opportunity for fruit. 
There's no opportunity. I want to encourage you with something. If you ever leave here and you're scratching your head, please don't leave. Please don't leave. And if you do happen to leave, when you go to your connect group, please ask questions. And if you're not in a connect group or for whatever reason, whatever you can't, please pick up the phone. And if you don't want to pick up the phone, please go to ctbny.com, contact us, email us. Listen, there is no shame in not understanding. The shame is in staying in a state of misunderstanding. The goal is fruit. Jesus said that, not me. That's what we're seeing here. And so he goes on to say, verse 20. I'm sorry. Therefore, hear the parable of the soul, verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside, by the hard ground. Verse 20. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Verse 22. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And he becomes unfruitful. I want to point something out to you about this particular person. Matter of fact, let me just read this and then we'll get, we'll get back into this. Verse 23. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and what? Understands it. Who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Notice that whether we're fruitful in our lives or not, it has nothing to do with the seed. The seed is meant to produce fruit. And what we see is that the the sower is sowing. So listen, God is always sowing his word. The problem is not in what he's sowing. The scriptures themselves declare in the book of Isaiah that his word shall not return to him empty. It always produces. And so the issue isn't the seed. The issue is how it's received. That makes sense? And so there are some things... That we need to understand. Matter of fact, there's one thing that we need to understand here. That if we're to truly receive God's word as it is, God's word, it has to be, it's marked by understanding. It has to be plain, simple. Listen, Jesus is talking to people who understand farming principles. They understand it. And yet, they were missing it. Why? Because what they weren't understanding is who the sower was. And they weren't understanding what the sower is trying to accomplish 
in the midst of his sowing. So as we see, what stops the word of God from producing fruit in our lives is a lack of understanding. As we saw in verse 23, the one that bears much fruit is the one who receives the seed. He's, he's, he's called, he or she is referred to as good ground because they not only hear the word, they understand it. They understand it. And so, understanding is important because understanding leads to belief, genuine belief. Understanding leads to belief which leads to growth, which ultimately leads to fruit from our lives. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for a heavy revy, listen, I'm not trying to impress you and flatter you with words. I am simply pointing you to the power and the truth of fruitfulness in the lives of the Thessalonians and in our lives. What the problem is, we hear we're meant to be fruitful and we try to make the fruit come to pass. We, 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 here's what we do. We go... And we try to make fruit happen. And we're missing the whole truth. Understand who I am is what Jesus is saying. Understand who I am. Understand the power of the role I play in your life. And that your life is now hidden in my life. Understand Understand. Is that too simple? If it is, good. Because that was the goal that Jesus had in everything that he taught. That we would understand. Listen, I'm not opposed or weary or, 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 or against deep revelation. Nothing wrong with it. But if it's so deep that it can't touch a person, then I don't want to swim there. And I would encourage you, don't be there. Don't stay there. If it's so deep that it leaves an everyday person who doesn't know God baffled, What's the point of it? What's the point of it? It serves no purpose. See, there's some things that stop us from receiving the word of God, and I want to touch on these, and then I want to bring this all together. What we see from the words of Jesus is three types of grounds that where the seed is sown, they don't produce. What I, you, know, you know what I love about this parable is that God sows everywhere. Everywhere. That's his heart. Everywhere. He sows to the addict. He sows amongst the person in prison. He sows in the life of a businessman. He sows in the person who has the picture-perfect life. He sows in your life, believer, and he sows in the life of the... Um, he sows everywhere. That's a good God. 
What does that tell us? That his intention is that everywhere his word go. And everywhere his word touch. And everywhere his word produce. The first ground that Jesus refers to as the wayside is referring to a hard heart. It describes the person who audibly hears but takes no opportunity to understand. And as a result, Satan picks up the truth. Takes it out of there. Oh, you don't want that? I'll take that from you. No worries, I'll take that from you. And as a result, this person can produce no fruit. There's no consideration for the truth. There's no entrance for what the truth is speaking. The second person is referred to as the stony ground. This speaks of a stony heart. It describes the person who rejoices at the good news. In other words, there's potential there. They hear that God loves them. Man, that's exciting. Praise God. Thank you. But because there's tribulation and there's things in their life, The word of God cannot take hold. And thus, the root springs up. The Bible says, look at it for yourself. The seed, a root springs up. But because that that root can take no hold in that person's life, it can't produce any fruit. And so the sun comes out and it it withers away. The third one speaks of the thorny ground. And this is, uh, none of these grounds is good ground. None of these descriptions of how the word of God is received end up in anything good. But I want us to pay close attention to the thorny ground, which speaks of a thorny heart. Because this describes a person who hears the word and believes. Listen closely, let me prove it to you. Let's read verse 7 again. Let's put up verse 7 in in Matthew 13. Verse 7, it says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. What I want you to see is this, that something started to happen with the seed. Something's growing. But because it's, it's in the midst of these thorns, these thorns, which it's growing into, begin to choke the life out of it. Let me point something out to you about this particular type of person. This describes a person who hears the word. Notice that when Jesus describes it, he says that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the life of the word. And so this particular description is a dangerous one because it describes a person who grabs a hold of the word to such an extent that the seed begins to take root and it begins to grow. What's interesting about that word cares there that it's talking about mindfulness or thoughtfulness. In other words, this person's mind is oriented towards something. And Jesus says that this person is like the seed that's sown amongst the thorns because their cares are for the things of life. And they're deceived by the false promises of a greater return from what those things offer. 
So yes, I believe God loves me. I believe in Jesus. I believe in this truth. And that begins to take root in this person's life. But at the same time, there's double-mindedness going on. This person is also quite mindful of all the false appearance of what everything else in life offers. And so they become consumed with that, but the word is somehow still growing in them. And so they hold on to these things. But here's the deception. Picture it, it, it this way, that while you're holding on tightly to all these cares, you're mindful about all these things in your life what you fail to realize is that they have a tighter hold on you. And they choke out the life. They squeeze it out of your life. And so while understanding was taking root, because somehow we believe this is more important, this is just as important as Jesus While we're holding on to it, it's holding on to us tighter. And it's choking life. It's choking understanding out. And so, I want us for the next couple of moments that we have to look at some practical things on receiving from God's Word. I want to start off by just sharing with you a simple point. In your endeavor to receive the word of God as it is, his word, don't aim just to hear, aim to understand. Don't forget that. Listen, if you, if you forget anything, everything else, I could care less. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. I think of it this way. How many of you like going to a, a good restaurant, eat a good meal? Oh, some of you are just lying. You know you love going to a good place to eat, right? I, I do. I know that. Look, there's nothing worse than going to a place that has some really good stuff on their menu and to go, I'll just have a salad. <laughs> just a glass of water and a salad. What a waste. What a waste. What's my point with that? Listen, if you're go- Listen, think of it this way. If you're going to go to the extent that you actually open your Bible and you read it, if you're going to go to the extent that you actually get up in the middle of this blizzard and drive in less than two inches of snow to get here, <laughs> right? Listen, if you're going to go to the extent that you give up some things to come here on a Sunday, if you're going to go to the extent that you'll actually go back and listen to a podcast and take notes and go back to the Word and read it, then why not go for it all? Why not go for understanding? Why not aim for that? You see what I'm saying? Listen, don't just... Go down this route with Jesus simply to hear. Aim to understand. 
Oh, but you know, I'm having a hard time, Pastor. I know. I've been there too. I've been there too. And you know, you, you know what's the one scripture that held me down when I was struggling in understanding? When everybody else was talking about, oh, God said this to me and I understand this. You know what was my one saving grace? The book of James. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. But believe that he'll freely give it to you. And, and here's all I understood. God, you freely. You're not holding anything back. So God, help me understand. Holy Spirit, Jesus said that you're a comforter unto me. And that you lead me into all truth. And that you show me things to come. So Holy Spirit, help me see. I'm not telling you that it was by osmosis and that, oh, I knew everything. No, it wasn't like that. But let me tell you, day by day I would walk and all of a sudden I would be thinking about the word or reading it and, and then I would see something. Or I would find myself in the midst of life and, or a challenge or whatever and all of a sudden what I would hear is the word. A scripture would come to mind and I would go, God, thank you because this applies right now where I'm at in life. You see the power of understanding when we aim for understanding? Let me give you an example of this. Acts 17, chapter 10, uh, I'm sorry, Acts, Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 12. It says, then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So, background, just a quick background. Paul's in Thessalonica. They're persecuting him. He just got there and they're kicking him out. They are running him out of town. So he goes to another place called Berea, right? And so, when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. Let me point something out to you. That word, those words there, fair-minded, what it means is that they were at a greater Level. They were at a higher level is what it means in the Greek. But why? It says these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them, watch what happened, believed and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. Listen, there was a difference between the Jews in Thessalonica and the Jews in Berea. The difference was that the Jews in Berea were at a greater place in position to receive. Not because they were better than the ones in Thessalonica, but because they not only heard, they sought to understand. They sought the scriptures to see if it was so. This is why I say here commonly, check me out. Go back to the word for yourself. Please go study the word. Go see if what I'm teaching you is really what the word says. And if you somehow disagree, welcome back home. Come on, let's talk about it. Let's talk about that. It's all right. I'm not going to get mad at you. I'm not going to go, how dare you oppose what I'm teaching in this church? Not this guy. Not going to happen. Let's talk about it. But the, the beauty of it is that as a result, what we see is that these Jews in Berea, they believed. Why? Because they understood. 
And what's even more beautiful about this is that verse 12 says that they, many of them believed, but also not a few of the Greeks. In other words, many Greeks, many unbelievers, and many women and men as well. Hey, check this out. When all you do is aim to understand, just understand, that understanding impacts your life in such a way that you begin to change and your, and your surroundings begin to change. Because what you share and what you live is so plain in understanding that people are drawn to Jesus. Not that complicated. Next point I want to give you is don't overlook where you're at at the expense of where you're going. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Mark chapter 4 verses 30 and 32. Jesus again speaking says, To what? Shall we liken the kingdom of God? In other words, how can, I, how can we describe the kingdom of God? And he says, or what parable shall we picture it? He says, it is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches. You know what it's describing there? A very large tree. So that the birds of the air may, ne- may, may nest under its shade. Notice what Jesus said about the kingdom of God when it's received at first. It's like a small, it's like the smallest of seeds. Small. Listen, I understand how intimidating it can be at first when you get around people who have been in church for a while. No judgment here. You can feel so small in light of all the great revelations that they have from God's word. I remember when I first came back to the things of the Lord. I had no understanding. And it was intimidating because I was amongst some quote-unquote faith giants. They were, trying, they were feeding me so much. And what I felt was like a baby gagging because I didn't even have teeth to chew. But thank God that there was a small group that I got involved in. And in this small group, man, these people were so loving, so caring, so patient. And in everything that I was learning and that we discussed I, my wife could tell you, I would go, I don't understand this. I don't, I don't get it. This doesn't make sense. This ain't working for me. And I remember there were a few people in that group, and here's what they would tell me. Stick to the simple things. God loves you. God loves you. I can't tell you how powerful an impact the, that scripture was that said that that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still yet sinners, he died for us. Man, that rocked my world. Because I knew where I came from. I knew what I was struggling with. Listen, I had the mouth of a trucker when I came back to church. <laughs> that and then some. I put truckers to shame. I had a temper and a half. I was fly off the handle. I was quick with my tongue. It it, it was a hot mess. 
But I would go back and I would say, but God, you demonstrate your love to me there. Right there. I took a hold of scriptures like Ephesians chapter, uh, 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 Ephesians uh, chapter 2 where it talks about how we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Lest any of us could beat our chest and go, God, look what I'm doing for you. And I used to feel like I had to do something for God. And I would read that scripture over and over. And I would say, God, you're not asking me for anything. I don't have to give you anything. All I have to do is take what you've given for me. Amen. That began to change my life in such a way. I, I, I meditated. I went back to the scriptures. I spent a year in the gospels just seeing how loving Jesus was. How he met a need. How he never rejected a sick person. How he, how he spoke truth, and that truth empowered people to be free. And, and, I, and I saw love in action. And I saw that love not just in the word, but I saw it in the people that were around me. That became a cushion all around me. And they kept at bay all these heavy revies. Because all they were doing was confusing me and driving me nuts. Today, that one small seed has become a tree that provides shade for many. And I don't say that boastfully. It ain't got nothing to do with me. I'm clear on this. Paul says, I planted. That guy, Apollos, he watered it. But he says, but God gave the increase. God gave increase. See, the smallest response in faith makes a great impact. Don't get so caught up in trying to be like, you know, John and Jane and, 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 and prophet such and such and pastor such and such and, and deacon this person and, and, and teacher that person. The Bible says don't compare yourselves amongst yourselves. You know what it calls it? It calls people that do that foolish. That's for fools. So please, don't look at me and go, oh, I wish I was there. No. Grow right where you're at. Because it's good enough. Let that small seed grow. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. And if you don't understand what somebody understands, don't beat yourself up about it. And don't try to get there right away. Take one step at a time. Small seeds of faith. Let me remind you, the small seeds of faith become the largest trees in our lives. Small seeds. Jesus said that. He revealed that. And lastly, as we're closing here, I want to encourage you to really turn the volume down on some things in your life. You know, when he talks about the thorny ground, he's talking about a people, a person that that hears the word and receives it and it's producing something, but then... Everything else that's crowding that, the cares, the concerns, the deceit of those riches, those things, they begin to choke out. Those things are so loud, they're so huge, they're so magnified. And, and it, what it does is it, it, it drowns out understanding. The Bible talks about a guy named Elijah. This dude, Elijah, was a great man of God. So great that the Bible says that he was the prophet of his day. 
He was it. He was the man that God chose. He heard so clearly from God that God would speak to him and, his pe- and, and, and Elijah would go and say, God says this and the people would go, whoa, God said. So he can hear God clearly. He was familiar with that. Well, the Bible says that one day he confronts about 400 prophets of the God, the in God of that day. Baal was it. Man, if you're going to serve anybody, if you're going to chase after anything, chase Baal. And the Bible says that Elijah confronts these prophets and that he says, hey, let's see whose God really is God. So, hey, let's both set up sacrifices. You call on your God, I'll call on mine. And whichever one rains fire down, that's the one in true God. So the Bible says that uh, these, uh, these, these 400 prophets, they begin to do all types of weird stuff. And it gets to the point they're so frustrated because nothing's happening. They begin to cut themselves and nothing happens. Elijah says, all right, guys, my turn. My turn. He says, hey, do me a favor. See that big altar? Drench it in water. Put as much water as you can. So they flood it with water. And the Bible says that Elijah prays and that fire from heaven comes down and consumes the sacrifice. In other words, there's no denying it's God, right? Cool stuff, right? So, but here's here's the thing. The queen, uh, and, and the Bible says that after that, Elijah says, take all those false prophets, kill them all. So they kill them. Long story short. The queen, Jezebel, gets word of what happened, and she says, oh, no, you did not. She says, be it unto me as it was unto them, if by this day, the end of this day, I don't do what you did to them and worse. And so the Bible says that this great man of God who hears God takes off running about 40 miles the other way. And he goes to a cave up on a mountain and he's hiding. If you read the story in, in detail, what you'll see is that Elijah is, Elijah is so convinced that things are so bad that he says, God, I'm the only prophet left in all the world. And he says, and now they're trying to kill me. He says, oh God, it'd be better if I just died. Just let me die. Just kill me. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. God finds Elijah. God goes to Elijah. He speaks to Elijah in this cave. It says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Everybody say, ooh. Everybody say, ah. Now, let me correct you here. Watch what it says. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. Oh, man, that certainly must be God because that's how he showed up last time. Oh, no. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out. And stood at the mouth of the cave. Mind you, the mouth of the cave is at a mountaintop. 
And it says, then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Let me point something out to you here. Life can be a lot like this. Life can be so loud. Issues can be so loud. Circumstances can be so loud. Anger can be so loud. Resentment can be so loud. Unforgiveness can be so loud. Money can be so loud. Friendships can be so loud. People can be so loud. Opinions can be so loud. This world can be so loud. And somehow we could miss God. But here's what I love about this man who was acquainted with hearing God. Notice that the Bible says that then a whisper came. A whisper. You know what I love about that? Two things. Number one, God doesn't have to shout at you. He doesn't have to condemn you. He doesn't have to beat you up. He doesn't have to... Debbie! That, that, that's not how God works. Jose! It's not, it's not God. It's not how God works. Watch what it says. A gentle whisper. You know why? Doesn't the Bible say that he's always with you till the end of the age? Doesn't the Bible say that your life is now hidden in Christ? Doesn't the Bible say that he who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. You know why God spoke in a whisper? Because he's right there. He's close. And so, what I want us to see here is this. Elijah understood the voice of God. And as a result, if you read the rest of the story, the Bible says that Elijah comes out and God tells him, you're going to go back to exactly where you came from. And here's your assignment. And these are the steps you're going to take. And the Bible says that then, the ravens came and fed him. Provided for him. He was strengthened. And he was able to get back to his assignment, what God called him to. Hey, listen. What we receive, how we receive the word of God is just as important as what we receive from it. The goal is simply to understand. The Thessalonians, they receive the word plainly. It's God's word. And because it's God's word, it's my truth. And that truth transformed their lives. Why not let it transform yours?